Hello, sci-fi fans. This is Nana Visitor from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. If you like what we're serving here at the Sci-Fi Diner, feel free to leave us a tip at patreon.com backslash sci-fi, spelled the right way, and by Audible. Get a free audiobook when you sign up today, audibletrial.com backslash sci-fi diner. Engage. Science fiction is an existential metaphor. It allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, where we serve up interviews, news, and our view on the world of science fiction. Come, grab a chair, and enjoy the conversation. I'd say we've got an unexpected guest. Rose, we're going, we don't need Rose. I've got a bad feeling about it. Hey. Quiet. Whoa. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. Good evening. I am Miles P. McLaughlin. Hi, I'm M. Ciro Garcia. And tonight, we are talking about Wrath of Khan. Khan! I was waiting for that. <laughs> M's, M's been doing this like all evening when we talk about Khan. Every time he said it tonight, <laughs> even the other show we were recording. It was like Khan. So that's fantastic. But we have a special guest to kind of uh, help us talk about Wrath of Khan. And uh, Miles, do you want to introduce her? Yes. And so um, I, I've seen her at the cons before. Um, she, she's in these fantastic costumes. Uh, but let me just I'll, I'll give the introduction. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you attend sci-fi conventions, uh, then seeing fans dressed up as, your, as your, your favorite characters from their favorite sci-fi shows is nothing unusual. This has been going on for many decades. However, over the last 15 years or so, it's changed. Something that's uh, newer is the quality and the presentation of these of the costumes you're seeing at the conventions. I know for myself, it looks like many of these folks stepped out of your the, off the set of your favorite show or movie and, and are now hanging out at the con with you. It's not just wearing a costume, it's cosplaying. Tonight, we're delighted to be bringing you cosplayer Joe Colton, who I had the opportunity to get acquainted with at this year's uh, Farpoint convention. Uh, she and her friends look like they just uh, walked off the set of the original series Star Trek. Uh, Ms. Colton, welcome, and thank you for taking time to talk with us on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I also want to scream con, by the way. Oh, go ahead. Do we'll, it. Go ahead. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Well done. There, there we go. That's awesome. It's nice to have some. It's nice to have someone like-minded on the show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting jealous of you screaming that right away. <laughs> it's kind of like it's very like it's cathartic and soothing. Like I feel kind of mellow now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so you're gonna you're, we'll have to have a con screaming competition a little bit later on. Oh dear. <laughs> It's not just the screaming. It's it's you know the you've just killed my son that I didn't know anything about. And now <laughs> I love and need to avenge. <laughs> God, oh but yeah. I only have forty seven minutes left to avenge him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's gonna be one of these shows, Miles. I know. Yep. It will be. Yep. Miles will I deal love with it. When there's other women on the show. This yeah. is great. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Emma has to put up with Miles and I, primarily me. She has to put up with on this show. And so she's very grateful that you're here, Joe. Just saying. Oh, very. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> <laughs> if you don't watch, you might become like a permanent co host of the show. Just saying. Emma might wrote you a pin. But <laughs> so, um, 
go ahead, Miles. I know you have some questions to ask Joe. That way we can find out a little bit more about uh, what she does, who she is, and that sort of thing. So there's lots of pictures you in Star Trek costumes, which I, I particularly like, and, and, and superheroes. Can you tell us a little about your fandom and what inspired you to take up uh, cosplaying? So I used to dress up um, for Halloween and parties and anytime I can get. But in 2009, I started really getting into cosplay and dedicated um, a lot of my time. And um, I took up more of the sewing, not simple sewing, like my mom had taught me when I was younger, but um, using different textiles and and different fabrics. Um, And then in 2010, it just kind of became an addiction and hasn't stopped. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My first official um, costume I guess was the Baroness from G.I. Joe. And my first um, convention was Virginia Comic Con. Like, as a cosplayer, like, wanting to do this. I used to go to conventions all the time, but never had um, the courage to dress up because I was really shy and didn't think anybody would would like it. So I didn't even try. Hmm. But but you're making up for lost time now. I mean, you're doing yeah. You're... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are, are, and maybe this is a question you have later on. But you, you are you able? Were you able to turn cosplaying then into somewhat of a business? Uh, I do do commission work um, for uh, different cosplayers, and I also um, have branched out to doing um, alterations and and. Um, tailoring clothing or making clothing for independent fashion designers as well. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's a side business. Um, I, I work full time, so okay. I, uh, I don't sleep. <laughs> yeah, apparently not. That's what happens with side businesses. Usually you don't sleep. Yeah. So, but Labor of love. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Miles. Do you, um, so, so do you, you, you make most of your costumes then or, or, I do. Um, one of my recent ones, um, the one that is Diana from Themyscira, the, the Wonder Woman, the training, um, corset is made by Airship Isabella, but the skirt and everything else is made by me. So, um, but usually I make my own costumes, all the G.I. Joe ones, all the Star Trek stuff that, uh, my Klingon costumes, I've made those. I painted the foreheads, um, I got the advice of John Paladin to do all the prosthetics and the makeup. He actually made the prosthetics and then advised me how to how to do the makeup and do the appliance and stuff. So I remember in your, in your Cleon costume. I mean, you, they're so good that you look like you, you walked off the set of the show. It's just um, the the quality you and many others put into those costumes. Now it's it, it you've raised the bar as far as what people wear at, at conventions now. Thank you. I, uh, I take great, um, uh, there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears in those, in those, uh, Klingon costumes. I had (laughs) made one for, uh, my former boyfriend. And then I made with my best friend made three more for Las Vegas and each one takes 600 hours to make. Yeah, it's intense because we were wanting to be screen accurate. So we were measuring the millimeters between the vinyl pieces or the leather pieces between to like separate it. And then we pin them, measure them again, and then sew each each strip down and then measure again. 
It was intense. That's a lot of dedication. That is a lot of time. Those costumes are are intricate. I worked for um, Paramount theme parks, um, oh. doing teaching um, some of like helping with the costumes for the shows, and specifically for the Star Trek walkers. We had um, uh, Klingons, we had Ferengi, and we had um, the pointy-eared ones, but the mean oh. ones. The Romulans. Oh, um, Romulans. And those Klingon costumes are no joke. No. Repairing them, building them is not fun. And then having to size them and then repairing them. There's just so much involved. It's yeah. impressive. The, uh, the arms like, cause the sleeves are, are, um, fur. And then the actual jacket itself is a heavy industrial canvas. So you are literally sweating pounds off. Like even if it was cold, like in Vegas, inside the casino, it was cold, but we were sweating because those things are, they don't breathe at all. So from, from the neck down, you're just, <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> we did figure out a way to put in a vest liner underneath with a small water pump to oh. use as a cooling. So if I can find, I mean, there, I, this was back in the nineties. If I can find those notes, cause I save everything, I'll happily send them to you on the structure oh, we built. I appreciate that. Yeah. I love the Think Geek commercials I saw you in. Can you tell us how you, how you able to uh to get that uh that that gig? So the first one was the the Trekini and the Klingon. Um and we so um a friend of mine, Misty Turner, got approached by somebody at Think Geek to see if she knew any Klingons or any Star Trek uh fans and the Dale brothers came to mind and um, they were like, oh, you, you've got to get Joe. She's a huge Klingon fan. And uh, they were like, well, would she fit into a Trekkini? And they were like, yeah, I think so. And so they they let me know that Think Geek wanted to, to talk to me. And, and the guy from Think Geek approached me. And then I had to sign a bunch of forms not talking about it. I didn't even I hadn't even had a chance to talk to them. And I was I was already signing things. I was like, what is this? What is happening? That <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, "What? This is crazy!" You almost need an agent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's super fun. That's super fun. They're they're super nice people too. Like very fun, very laid back. Um, all geeks. Like so, it, they were really sweet and very patient and really helpful. And everyone just enjoys their job, which is amazing. Yeah, we had we had, we had knew we had we had known uh, John Fraze when he worked there. He no longer works there, but but he he, he loved it when he worked there. At least mm-hmm. so. Um, now beyond Think Geek commercials, I mean, you also did uh, you also had some p- appearances in fan films. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Um, sure. I worked with Sunny Mead Films and Together Productions, um, which is owned by Eric the Smoke Moran. And I did a dread episode for him, and we're going to return to that this year, um, late this year, early next year, because um, the story is not done yet. And we're working with Sunny Mead, which is the other dread uh, film that is happening in the UK. And so we're going to pull those two. Uh, I think it's six episodes each. We're pulling them to make them a full length movie. So that in Farragut Films, I worked on that, um, and we did a spinoff for Trek Isolation, 
And this year we're going to be filming my backstory for that. Um, and that'll be done probably in the summertime. Awesome. Awesome. Is there something, uh, you, 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 we keep coming back to like dread and I noticed that dread was in one of your, is it part of your cosplaying repertoire? Is there something mm-hmm. about judge dread that you like that you continue to like do fan films and cosplay judge dread outfits? Uh, so I became like I, I used to read Dread when I was young. Um my dad was in the military and um he used to encourage me to to read anything military, any comic books or any law enforcement. Um The Punisher was a little different, but you know <laughs> he didn't they're both immigrants, uh both my parents are immigrants, so they didn't really understand like what was the words that were say, said in comic books, but G.I. Joe was a big uh, a big thing that I used to read. and um, But then when I got older, um, I kind of stopped reading, obviously, some, some comic books and, and, and watching cartoons and then got into it. But then when, when Carl Urban's Thread came out, I, was, I became obsessed with that movie. I would watch it like every single day, like once. Yeah, I, I like Judge Dredd. I like the Carl Oberon's Dredd. I liked it better than the uh, than Stallone's Dredd. But yeah, <laughs> he it, it was very. Uh, he never took off his helmet. I remember um, meeting Carl Urban at Dragon Con, and he was telling us that he wasn't going to do the film if the script any point had him remove his helmet because he wanted to stay true to the character. And and at that point, I was like, all right, like. This man did his research. I don't know if he was a fan before that, but he he really wanted to stay true to the character, and he fit the character very well. So um, him just kicking ass was amazing. <laughs> I liked um, uh, I liked Judge Anderson, and I liked that they had her in the beginning of her career because she goes on and, and does some pretty badass things with uh, uh, in in the Judge Dredd universe. So. Um, Awesome. Yeah, she fights Judge Death, and guys are going to get me like to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, like, if, this is not Wrath of Khan. We're talking about Judge yeah. Dread tonight. We're just, just, just kidding on the con part. So, <laughs> I was waiting for that to come. <laughs> not fun if you're waiting for it. No, no, no. I was okay. I was expecting it. <laughs> expecting. Next question I have, it's not the most pleasant one, but I feel like I have to ask it uh, just because just we're just to be socially conscious. Something that has to be addressed a few years was, sadly, some college players were not just getting undue attention from fans, but were getting assaulted. And, and so you had signs of cons had to be posted. You know, mm-hmm. college play doesn't equal consent. I hope for your sake that the fans have been respectful to you as you attend cons in costume. I have been very respected. I've not been, I've only been approached once um, by a guy who was a little off, but he was quickly um, blocked off from me by, by a group of guys that I was with. And he was uh, reported to security. Um, The only other time that I was very creeped out was a man had been taking photos of me, um, from a distance, but he was low to the ground and he was trying to get an upshot, but from far away and in a weird angle. And so 
I walked up to him and, and I confronted him and he was not expecting that at all. It's, it's sad that you have to, that, that people that dress up and I, I think especially, uh, from the f- females that do it, just deal with a lot of that or at least somewhat. It's, it's just a sad mm-hmm. part of that. So, I mean, at sci-fi con, you'd hope men would be gentlemen, but sometimes it, sometimes it's not well, the case. As- one of the things that that comes into play here too is like, like I appreciate the work and the effort that a lot the co- that cosplayers really put into it, and then you have the people who kind of sort of do it, but they're like, oh, I'm going to be Spider Man, but I'm going to be sexy Spider Man and wear close to nothing, mm-hmm. and then oh, well, I'm going to be Aquaman, but I'm going to be sexy Aquaman, so I'm going to wear close to nothing, and so there's that there's that small microcosm of folks who take it to the point of near nudity and it's not an invitation by any means, but you have that. There are just some people who don't see it for the artistry. They see it for the sexuality behind it. And that just drives me crazy that they, that just gets completely over-sexualized and they're driven by their baser needs to hump something when the only thing they really deserve is a big kick in the nuts Um, to just back, back it on up. And it's, there's, there shouldn't have to be a fine line. There should just be this general respect of, of the art that it is. Well, a follow up question I would have then is, well, before we get to that, Joe, Joe, uh, can I, what, what are your thoughts about what M said regarding that? (laughs) (laughs) The big sigh. No, no, it, it, uh, I've always I've been asked this several times and and I I agree that there is an artistry and there should be a mutual respect. Um I don't think that just because a woman is dressed sexual sexually um provocative that that it's an invitation not at all. Um you should keep your hands to yourself. Um the flip side is like the, the the gentleman who approached me, he had thrust his pelvis forward and I was in scarlet from GI Joe and she is covered head to toe. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he was thrusting his pelvis forward and, and he kept doing that coming towards me. And I was like, what is happening? Like, I had no idea what was going on. He was like saying things and I, it was loud at the con and I couldn't hear him. And part of me was like, do I ask if he's okay or do I? And then the guys just stepped in and were like, you're not going near her. I don't know what's going on. And they reported him to security, but it was at at no point should, should anyone male or female um, touch anyone without permission. Indeed. Oh, that, yeah, I'm totally against that. And and I encourage women to take self-defense classes um, at, at cons or, or anywhere in general, actually like it just in their daily lives that, you know, we live in a dangerous place. Like in general, like people get mugged all the time. There's, you know, active shooters in, in schools now, like that's, that should never have been a thing in the first place. So walking down, uh, down a, a side street after a con in the dark and you're by yourself you should know how to at least get away from somebody who has ill intentions, if not the crap out of it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, agreed. Well, you know, this brings up the other thing, though, and Miles, I'm going to steal your question, if that's okay. 
Oh, that's no, no. the uh, the so you know I, I bring my son to conventions and he 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 seems to he's always respectful. Will ask if he can take photos and so on. Is there an etiquette that you suggest as a cosplayer on being approached by fans who are genuinely appreciating your art, or something that you like when people do when they want to take photos and that sort of thing? Um. Just a, hi, how are you? I like your costume. Can I take a picture with you? I always ask them because they're like, can I take a picture? I'm like, do you want to be in the picture? Because just taking a picture of the person, like, like that's fine. But I always want them to have an experience as well. So I was like, come on, get in here. We'll take a picture together. But I always ask if they want to take a picture with me as well. So if they don't feel comfortable, then then that's fine. But yeah, asking a person to take a picture. Um before you take a picture. Also, when they're going to the bathroom, don't ask to take a picture. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a I've story had, there? <laughs> uh, a thing that happens to me, I don't get the the being accosted or, or sexual innuendos. I get the, hey, can you hold my baby as I'm trying to walk into the bathroom? <laughs> can you take a picture with my baby? Oh, Okay. And then just handed the baby. I'm like, oh, <laughs> we're doing this in front of the bathroom. <laughs> is this the? Is that like the weirdest request you've ever gotten? No, the weirdest request I've gotten. Uh, I was dressed as the Baroness at Awesome Con, and we were collecting money for um, military charity uh, for the finest. And a woman came up to the table, and she had a stroller and her husband and. Uh, a baby, obviously, um, but she was carrying the baby and the shopping bags were in the stroller. So she had come up to me and asked me if I would hold her baby and take a picture. And I was like, OK. And she had one of the other gentlemen who was there, who was a friend of mine, as one of the Cobra officers, pretend he was the dad. And then she was the maid and her husband was going to be the gardener. And we took a family portrait. It was the weirdest. Thing <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That is funny, it's though. Like, uh, hey, babe, you're, you're half naked. It's uh, can you take a family portrait awkwardly with my baby? <laughs> right, right. Awkward family photos. But <laughs> yes. It's very. Baby was staring at me like, what is happening? And I'm like, I don't know, kid. In 20 years, you're going to need therapy, and I don't know how to. <laughs> <laughs> the parents must like G.I. Joe. That is funny. That is funny. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. So so what's next in your uh, cosplaying ventures? Uh, what characters do you, do you want to dress up at that you haven't yet? Oh, boy. Um, so I bought a Cree cut machine. And I'm planning to do Hela from Thor Ragnarok. Nice. Yeah. So I'm going to be using um, vinyl and, and heat transferring. And I had seen, um, was it Epic Designs on Instagram? I follow them. And they had tried to, tried to make a Hela costume. And they did. They ended up doing it with silicone and and um, using a Cree cut. So it inspired me. And I've now bought a Cree cut like a crazy person and am thing to do the same thing. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. And I'm making my, uh, my boyfriend's um, Thor costume from Ragnarok as well. So Awesome. When, when, 
Yeah. When would you hope to uh, debut this, uh, these costumes? Um, probably Dragon Con. I would have liked to have it um, for Great Philly Comic Con, but I just got the machine, and there's no way I can I can measure all the ovals out and and make everything cut properly. It's not even out of the box. It's sitting in my living room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, those good things take time, but mm-hmm. no, that's awesome. For 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 Trek, uh, my next big build is a Cardassian. Oh, okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah. That's, awesome. That, that's uh, some serious prosthetics. Yeah. That, it's a neat headpiece. I'm looking forward to painting it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Is there a particular female Cardassian ca- character or you're, you're looking at doing or? Or is it more general? Just Yeah. I'm probably going to do a, a, a general Cardassian uh Probably a, a soldier from the Cardassian army, and maybe a general. Um, but I want it to be female, and I just want to do a spoonhead. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to share before we move on into our discussion of Khan? Do you want me to uh, put my social? Media Absolutely, stuff out yeah. Let's plug. Well, we'll oh, plug it here. And we'll okay. plug it in at the end of the show too. But where can people see okay. your cosplays and find and just find out what you're doing in the world of cosplay? Um, so on Facebook, it's Joe Colton Cosplay. On uh, Instagram, it's uh, Joe Colton Cosplay. And on Twitter, it's J. Colton Cosplay. Awesome. Very cool. And I'm supposed to start a Twitch channel with my best friend, Maggie, who does most of the costumes with me. And we, it's, uh, I think it's um, Trek Girls Official, I think is our name, or Trek Girls 2 or something like that. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> Awesome. I like it. We're going to be drinking wine and, and building costumes. <laughs> oh, awesome. And I'm sure there's people that would that, that would love to follow the progress and just see the costumes come alive. So, I hope yeah. so. <laughs> oh, I would think so. I mean, there's all there's uh there's knitting shows on Twitch. I mean, come on. People like to watch that sort of thing, so. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely. Well, let's move into our review of Con. Any, uh, Miles, you want to kind of take us into that part of the show? Sure. So uh, we are, since we're not going to get any new Star Trek live action in, in quite a while, we are going to uh, review all the Star Trek movies. We just finished uh, the motion picture with Larry Nemechek, and Joe Colton is, is kind enough to join us in our review of Wrath of Khan. Um, the, the second one in this, I, I think... Um, this one definitely redeemed the franchise. Uh, even though the, the first film did, did well financially, it didn't do great critically. This one seemed to fire in all thrusters, um, in, in, in every way. Um, and I've, uh, I, when I watched it, I watched it with, uh, the Okuda, uh, text commentary. So there were some interesting, interesting, uh, facts. Uh, I did not watch it with any commentary, but I did watch it again. Mm-hmm. So, so 1982, this film came out, and Nemechek said it was kind of the it was kind of the answer to the motion picture. That that, that would make a lot of sense. I mean, this that um, they they need they, they needed something to. I don't want to you know speak ill of the motion picture, but um, it, it it left a lot of people disappointed. Unfortunately, yeah. I think in retrospect, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely. So so did you go back and rewatch it then? For the show here tonight? Oh yeah, I watched it last week, and I watched. I, I have the, I, I got, I got the 
director's cut DVDs, and um, this one had the the, the, the Okuda um, text commentary. So uh, right. I watched they're going to be at shore leave this year. The Okuda is going to be at shore leave. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Absolutely. And did you go ahead and rewatch Wrath of Khan again? I did. I watched it this weekend and realized how bad the eighties were. <laughs> <laughs> um, having been a young child at the time, it, it was. Oof. But it was. It, it saved. It definitely saved. Um, Wrath of Khan saved Star Trek <laughs> um, as as a potential for moving on to bigger and better things. And then they made the whale movie. I um, love the whale movie. It was one of my favorite Star Trek. No, <laughs> it's the worst. I, In retrospect, they're all terrible, but they're terribly wonderful. But, but um, they are. Search okay. <laughs> for Spock is my favorite. The third, the third one. It's, Search for Spock is really good. It is really good. Yeah, it's underappreciated. Yeah, I. Uh, but there's there's something that feels more legitimate about the story being told in wrath of Khan there's then motion picture. I feel like motion picture, they were trying to make up for all the campiness of the, of the sixties. And they, they, they still made it campy. They still, they, they missed it by a little bit. And then wrath of Khan came out and I realized in retrospect, it's oh okay. They saw what they did and they fixed it. At least a few times. Well, it definitely was much m- many more explosions in Rathacon and many more uh, a lot of more phaser firing than they did in motion picture. That's for sure. The first film was missing a lot of action, and I mean, you know, it. I don't want not speaking ill of Gene Roddenberry, but the franchise did need some, need some new blood, and bringing Harv Bennett and Nicholas Meyer um, was what was needed. Uh, M, you made the comment that you realized how bad the 80s were. What about this movie uh, made you think that? Um, so the costuming choices, the styling choices, it was it was just over. I mean, Ricardo Montalban has a better cleavage than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say his costume, I feel like, was an afterthought. You have a great chest. Let's just show it. <laughs> right, right. But no nipples. Men. It was nipples, right? Like, yeah. what is happening? Why is he half naked? He's. What's funny too is like, for him, it's just it. it that might have been a writer of his. I will not show any nipples. But there were other people who were definitely nipped out. So. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. It's. It's a. It's. It's a much more serious science fiction film for that time period too. So that that made it kind of joyful. But it's just the styling of it. So Em, you're not a fan of the well, you said the costumes, so It's not that I'm not a fan. It's just very typical of that time period. The hair, the 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 man mullet, like <laughs> the man, just and just the the volume of man bangs and feathered hair is is just regrettable. <laughs> oh my! But it it lends to the ear. It it's of the time. It it fits perfectly. Joe, what do you think about what I'm saying here with the uh, the the genre, the era, the era that this was filmed in? Uh, there are things that 
like the special effects that don't hold up right. at all. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's it's like watching Battlestar. You have to remember, okay, I gotta dial it back to that era and and know that that's all they had. <laughs> They're using miniatures to to do this. Right. There's no there's no special effects. There's no actual um, like CGI. It's it's literally a little model kit on either string or a guy holding it and. <laughs> We didn't have CGI in in 1982. Nope, we did not. Well, we barely had cartoons. The the whole Genesis effect was CGI. That was one of the first major CGI effects used in the movie. Now, granted, it was it was a simulation, and it was you know, and it was just that effect, right? It wasn't like the entire movie they did. They filmed most of that with miniatures. Like, well, what they, I mean, we talk about they 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 they. I hate to say they were rehashed, but they rehashed a lot of footage from the motion picture. They re-edited, but I mean, a lot of scene, you know, a lot of ship flying scenes, a lot of ship flying scenes. I didn't realize that. Oh yeah. Um, They made a lot of use of, of stock footage in that movie. Um, I mean, they had to make some new, I mean, they, they, they had, they had a new ship in the Reliant, but like the space station, that they that that's a reuse of the space station, the motion picture. They just f- flipped it up. I mean, or, or it was they made it upside down basically, the, the regular one station. Didn't they say that, like it took it took like almost a dozen people to mount the model onto like a forklift and like move it, like the Reliant? I, I didn't. So, I I would have no trouble believing that. I mean. Um, yeah, that's, that's what they had to do back then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, it's amazing that they, they made such, such a movie at that time, but looking back at some of them, some of the things don't transfer, like the costumes, the hairstyles, the nipples, like, <laughs> <laughs> like the tan, like Uber tan people, like just, yeah. The special effects, some of it doesn't transfer it, you know, it, you're you're what you you got to realize what you're watching. I mean, right. this, was, this was made right. almost forty years ago. Indeed, right, right. <laughs> you have to set that perspective. Right, right. Right. Don't, don't get me wrong. I watch these all the time, like over and over, except for one. Uh, I've watched that not as much because <laughs> it's so slow. Which one? Number one. Uh, first one. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is slow. Although the pantsuits are pretty amazing. I don't care about V'ger. Just get lost again. <laughs> now, 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 Joe, it's interesting. I mean, you as a cosplayer might appreciate this. I don't see at cons many people cosplaying the costumes for the motion picture. Would that, would that be fair? Yes. It's, it's, doing the Monster Maroon is a very difficult costume because it's, it's tailored. It's, it's a uniform. So it's, there's tailoring. It's not a costume. So there's a lining and um, shoulder pleats, so the co- the uniform can sit properly, like a military uniform. And it's a there's dip- like forty something snaps in that in that front slot that goes across the shoulder and yep. down the the body line. Yep. Yeah, yeah that's a rough costume. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's made it's gabardine, like it's really uncomfortable and hot and tight and stiff and can only be dry cleaned and 
Now these are these yeah. are the Rathacon uniforms you're talking about. Yeah, the monster. Okay. Ones. Hmm. The Starfleet <laughs> ones. I always I always <laughs> liked them. I mean, I thought they looked very you know they they looked very military. They looked they were actually one of my favorites out of all of them. Um, so, what did you guys think of the uh, how, how did the musical score line up to the first one? Let's talk about the music a little bit because I like the music of this one and especially the fight scenes uh, help build the intensity in my opinion. Although now looking back in that fight scene in the nebula cloud, that's awfully slow. I, 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 I love the music in this movie also. I mean, so, some of it's a reuse of motion picture, but some of it's original. Um, I, 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 as far as the, the, the fight scene between the, the enterprise and reliant, I, I never really thought of it as being slow. I mean, it was, it was a lot of good, you know, good strategy. Both ships are very damaged. They don't have their sensors and shields aren't working. So they're really doing a lot of guesswork where the other ship is and everything. Um, kind of, kind of, this kind of reminds me of a submarine battle in some ways. Thoughts from, uh, and what are your thoughts? I don't really have an opinion on the music from the original series films. They weren't, they didn't really, they didn't really grab me. They weren't as, as like robust, like, Michael uh, Giacchino, the guy who did who did the um, the, the reboot music, right. that I will actually listen to those three soundtracks. Well, they're inspiring. They're there. You can feel them in your soul, and 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 the full orchestra behind them is amazing. I will put my my headphones on, put those on, and I've got my multi screens at my desk, and I will pretend like I am on a starship and I have to get stuff done. It's it's it. It's enriching. It's it's um, robust. I honestly don't remember the music very well from any of those uh, first six. And even in Generations, it was basically a reiteration of STT and G's music. So I'd heard it before. It didn't feel special. I don't really... I, I didn't even really notice now, it. You know, I think, I think it's one good. of the things that you would miss if it wasn't there. But, but, right, it, but right. it's so... He, he kind of needed it to provide like this undercurrent, this bed for the movie itself, but but mm-hmm. nothing that you're going to go and hey, hey mom, you got to check out the Wrath of Khan score. Joe, any thoughts on the uh, the musical score itself? Um, I remember Jerry Goldsmith did the first one um, for the first motion picture, and I don't really remember a lot of it. Like when I hear it, I'm like, oh yeah, okay, Jerry Goldsmith, but James Horner they didn't want him to do the same thing for the second for, for Ratha Khan. Um, but yeah, I think I, I play Klingon music to work out <laughs> sometimes. So it, you know, the, the, the newer stuff is what I remember of the, of the soundtracks. Um, Wrath of Khan, uh, I mean, James Horner has put out some amazing music, but I, you know, this isn't one of my favorite scores by him. He was, didn't he do, did he do Titanic? No. No. Did, I know he did Apollo No, 13. you might be right about Titanic, though. Let me just pull him up real quick. I got him right here. There you um, go. Avatar, Titanic, yep. A Beautiful Mind, Legends of the Fall, Braveheart. Oh, yeah. I mean, he did, I mean, he's done some amazing music. An American Tale. <gasps> Fievel! Oh, <laughs> <Aww>, that's a. <laughs> I had no idea. 
That's, oh, he did the music for Cocoon. That. Well, didn't he put a theme for Spock? He's the one that made a theme for Spock and Kirk. Is that Wrath of Khan? Mm. Yeah, he might have. Yeah, yeah I don't. If, so, I'd have to look at his uh, music listing. I'm not sure. I like. Um, I've heard. Um, so you know, my my day job, I'm a English teacher, and. So I, I love when I, I I did some reading on Khan and I've I've seen critics and I kind of agree with this uh, who compared Khan himself to being like Captain Ahab from Moby Dick that say that mm. same sort of passion almost uh, to a fault he's so passionate for revenge on Kirk that he disregards everything like his sole obsession is to get Kirk so he's not hunting for a white whale he's hunting for a white anglo-saxon man <laughs> apparently in this case <laughs> there, <Yeah>. you, <laughs> there you there you go well even the dialogue in the movie i mean uh khan is quoting um you know moby dick i mean it's so, oh he is mm-hmm. that's right so i mean uh, nicholas meyer from what i've read about him he's very well versed in, in in the moby dick uh all right what what else what else we want to talk about here regarding this uh this movie well what what made what 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 i think got fans excited and happy for was the what made Star Trek great was the relationships particularly between Kirk, Spock and McCoy and the the um the 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 arguments and debates Spock and McCoy would have and and they had a really good one when when they talk about the whole the, the whole Genesis um device um and I had the director's cut so um that one scene where they're Kirk's quarters excuse me, Kirk's quarters discussing it. Spock has a couple more lines just saying, I I don't approve of this, but um, because, you know, McCoy is like, he's reacting to this as an Armageddon weapon. And he says, well, what if if he dropped it on a planet where there is life on there? And Spock coldly and clinically says it would, it would destroy existing life and replace it with its new matrix and that agitates McCoy even more. So that was McCoy's kind of, always agitated though. It doesn't take much, but that that's what we love about him. I mean, and that, that was what worked in the original series. It's, it's what worked in this movie is you, you felt, you know, it, it kind of brought you back to that. What was great about the original series was the, these, these, these arguments that McCoy and Spock would have. Yeah. The relationship between the characters. So for you, that was something that, uh, really stuck out. Oh yeah, and this has been talked about before, but the we're seeing we're seeing Kirk and, and the crew older now. I mean, they, they've they've embraced the the that they have aged and they're farther along in their lives. Um, more so with Kirk is you know we see Kirk kind of having this midlife crisis, not happy where he is i mean he has a good job he's an admiral but he'd rather be the captain of the ship and just that struggle he's having and even spock and mccoy are saying this is where you belong you know you you know you shouldn't have you know you need you know you need you need to get your ship back you need to get your command back that's where you before you lose yourself exactly and yeah definitely you know i wonder if it spoke some people in life maybe they'd feel like they need that promotion but they're actually happier, you know, maybe doing something that may, may not look as, uh, may, may, prestigious. Yeah. Prestige. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And 
Uh, yeah, so I was when I was watching. I mean, I've seen the film many times. I'm trying to see if I get anything new out of it. I mean, I, I see other characters; they seem content where they are. But we definitely, Kirk, he is definitely struggling where where he is. Um, your thoughts? Well, yeah. So you know, when we talk about the interaction between the characters, I think is kind of where we're at and discussing here. Um, any favorite moments of that those interactions that kind of stuck out to you as you did your re- rewatch, or maybe favorite moments in general? Honestly, in this film, it's really just the ah, yeah. <laughs> like it's it's the it's the it's the archetypal like culmination point right. and the con and and there's when it when his son dies, that's a pivotal point and. When they when we lose Spock, that's a pivotal point. Yeah, I was going to say that's probably the point for me that sticks out the most is that the death of Spock. I, everything's kind of shadowed by that because it's it we all take a huge blow. Right. We all take a huge huge blow. Every fan is in that in that in that theater just thinking, "Are you kidding me with this?" Because you're base you're killing off, you know, thirty three point three percent of the important characters. <laughs> Give Spock, Kirk, and McCoy. Those are the three. Those are the three musketeers of this. And you've just killed D'Artagnan. So, what the hell? Right. Um, and we're left with Porthos, who is really kind of skinny, and um, the other one, who's just a big giant jerk, and that's Kirk. You're <laughs> losing a huge. Um, you lose. You you losing the movie and. I think I there, I don't have anything that's favorite except for the yelling because it's fun, but that poignant moment it's a sad film. Yeah, it is. It ends very sad because I know it's coming. Yeah, and and I know what happens after because there was another movie. But but when this movie came out, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have known that. And you know what's funny is I had the exact same reaction. I remember being a little kid and just bawling my eyes out and. When, um, in Star Trek, um, beyond when Spock is pulled aside and he's given the little box, I had the, like, oh my God, my Spock is gone, but this time gone for good. Like just, I had that exact same visceral reaction hmm. yeah. <laughs> in that movie. Like, uh, how many years later? 30, 31 years later, same reaction. Joe, Joe, your thoughts on any of the moments that Em talked about or that we've been talking about here? So, so two things on Wrath of Khan that that I I really liked and and also hate. One is obviously the death of Spock, and every time I see it, I cry. Hmm. Even though I know that there's another film and he's not really dead. Um, but it's a it's a pivotal moment in that film. The other is. You get some insight into Kirk when he talks to Savick about the Kobayashi Maru test and how his no win, he doesn't believe in the no win scenario. And he explains that to her and she was looking at him as if like, you've just, you don't understand what it's like because you aren't playing by the same rules. And he, he essentially teaches her like, there is no rule in life. You just have to win it and in the end you he doesn't because he loses a third of himself which is spock and then does he understand that yeah you beat the kobayashi maru but you didn't win the battle like you didn't win the war won the battle 
because you lost something that you can't have again. And then he does, because, you know, that's right. <laughs> True. So, so, he, so, so, he, so, he, so he does win, but he just doesn't in this movie. Not in this movie yet. Right, right. We don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. very true. Very true. So, well, I mean, what Joe brought up, he he has, you know, he has a conversation with his son in his quarters. Just, you know, it was a kind of come come to Jesus moment. I mean, as far as, um, you, you know, you've you know, son says you've never faced death like this before, and he goes, "No, I've I've cheated death, and I've patted myself on the back, but." This is where it's probably, you know, for him, it's hurt the most is um, losing his best friend. Very, very true. I do like the way they, um, so we talked about the death of Spock. I do like the way they spoofed that in uh, Ready Player One with uh, what, uh, how they, uh, you know, be lying there in the casket and then sitting up and talking to everyone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was, uh, Um, you know what part I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Oh, look, it's Spock's casket. So. (laughs) <laughs> that was a nice touch. That was a really nice touch. Yeah, but did you see Ready Player One, Joe? I have not seen it yet, but it's okay. no. Wait, wait. But we will not have that. that doesn't it. spoil the movie. Just that moment's in there, so okay. you can be looking forward to it if you do go see it. So, okay, I recommend the audiobook. Oh, the audiobook is fantastic. Will Wheaton reads it. That's right. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah, and it's uh, I've read it two or three times, and my son and I are reading it, so it's absolutely fantastic. So, what else do we want to say about the movie? Any other uh, facts, trivia about it that we need to know that you picked up listening to? I know you said you you kind of watched it with uh, the Okudas talking. Anything that they said that um, that you were kind of surprised by as you were list- as you were watching it again? Uh, according to the commentary and. I, 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 I mean, the kudos should be in the know, right? They, they, they should, if anybody. Um, I, I, well, I, I guess at the time, Shatner and George Takei's relationship was in a better place because what they had said originally was George Takei didn't want to be in Rathacon. Uh, they said Shatner talked him into doing the film. Okay. So I found that very surprising in light of them not necessarily having the best relationship right now. The, the, the Akuda commentary is great because it tell. I mean, like I said, that they, they, this movie was a lesson in using what, whatever, you know, using what you had before, um, as far as set pieces, props, um, so much of this, I mean, w- one thing the motion picture did do for Rathacon was provide the startup costs, the sets, uh, for this movie, I mean, they, they they didn't have to build much as far as set pieces. They so really, kept the budget down a little kept bit. The bu- yeah, yeah uh, I remember that. They didn't they didn't write the entire uh, series that ended up being a phase two series into the project cost. No, this was this this was this was uh, definitely um, much more affordable. Um, I, when I, years ago, I saw Harv Bennett at um, Farpoint. Um, and he was t- telling a story about how he was approached to do um, Star Trek. And they said, can you, can you make a Star Trek movie for, I figure with the exact figures, we'll just say $30 million. And this was, this was 1980 or something like that. And he said, I can make three Star Trek movies for that amount. <laughs> uh, so, um, so yeah, it, I mean, it's, it, it's interesting what, what they, what they did as far as the set pieces, uh, e- even the Klingon bridge became, 
they redressed that. That became the photon torpedo room that we see uh, a bunch of times in the movie. Um, yeah. Well, that's so, so the, I mean, that, that's, and then of course they reused, they reused, as you said, a lot of that stuff. But I don't think it takes anything away from the film. I no, thought I'm not sitting there saying, "Oh, that's a motion picture piece." I don't think I don't think that when I'm watching it. Yeah, right. I mean, um, I, you know, I didn't learn this this stuff till years later. That, uh, that that that's what they did to you know they 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 pretty much used everything for motion picture. And um, now, did you guys hear? Uh, speaking to everyone here, did, did you did you hear that when Nimoy went into this, he was kind of done with Trek. And he had said, okay, we're going to kill off Spock, and that's going to be it. Because well, that's, that's kind of what I heard initially when when this film began. I think at the time, he 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 he, he wanted to be killed off, but then I think later on he had a change of heart, and then I think he talked to either Meyer, I forget, maybe it wasn't Meyer, um, he said he's not necessarily done with Star Trek yet, so maybe there's a way. If there's a way to make his passing um, ambiguous or have a, a, an out for him to come back, that uh, he he would like that. So, because yeah. um, there, there, yeah, there was a time when he he was he was done with Trek, but uh, his his mind changed pretty quickly on that one. Yeah. Um, did um, did you hear anything of that? Or I remember there was a point where where Nimoy didn't want to be synonymous with Spock and he was okay with, all right, you want to sure kill me. I don't care. And then it took some time. And I think it was the doing the convention circuit um, over the last 20 years that really made him, that really let him see, you know, what was involved. I mean, he made the other films. I'm pretty sure all of them had reached a point of, um, I don't want to be pigeonholed into this one role. I did, a, and he did do a lot of work. He did theater too, but every, he's just always known as Nimoy or always known as Spock. And I feel like he didn't get the reverence that we give Spock now. I think we've got, we've got Spock through STTNG and him popping up there. Um, and really understanding what he can or had and had done in the history of that, of that universe. There was like, it went from being this cute campy thing to kind of Star Trek became like gentrified for lack of a better word. And that sounds bad, but it just became respected. It, it, it jumped the fence to something a little bit more special and unique and respected Joe, your thoughts on that, on Spock and uh, his demise. And as far as him coming back, I had heard that he had, uh, like I'm said, um, was fed up with it or, or wanted out. And then he didn't want to be, um, known as just Spock later in life. He, he got into art and had opened up a gallery in, in California and had, you know, did a lot of other things, including directing and, but um, I think they had to convince him to come back and he he had ideas and, and took up like directing. Um, he was very good at Spock. I, I could not see anybody else play that role as well and have as much impact in the Star Trek universe as him. 
I mean, it was in 1975 that he wrote, I am not Spock. And then in 1995, he wrote, I am Spock. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So definitely a change of heart. One of the few things I have, one of the first audiobooks I ever bought was Spock versus Q. Where, and, and with, um, John, I can't pronounce his name. Delancey. 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 John Delancey. Um, you could tell he was having a really good time, despite being Spock, who is completely without emotion. But I don't think I don't think Leonard Nimoy would have done that twenty years prior. No. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. I think with the revival of like the Abrams Star Trek, I think he he also liked playing himself but from another time it brought a different aspect to spock that he had not done so i think that also was okay for him to do do you know what i mean like he didn't know i'm done with spock he said huh never thought of that 20 years ago or 30 years like i'll i'll try this and and now we have him in the the newer um star trek so and that was it was it was so it was so refreshing to see him in those newer Star Trek movies mm-hmm. too. It's kind of like you were seeing a familiar face from the old world. Yeah. So. But you know, one of the things we didn't talk about, we do need to talk about, is James Dewan's a rendition of Amazing Grace at Spock's funeral. Oh yeah, absolutely amazing. One of my favorite parts of you know talking about we talked about the music not necessarily being memorable, but this was a memorable scene. You know, the death of Spock is he's they're getting ready to shoot him out the uh, torpedo tube. James Dewan's in the back playing the bagpipes in Amazing Grace. I fast forward through that part. It's oh, you do. It's too sad. It's it's a little. It's it hit. I don't. I can't watch it. It's very emotional. Uh, in the um, in the, in the Akuta commentary, they, they said at, at Gene Roddenberry's funeral, they had bagpipes playing. They played Amazing Grace. Did uh, did James Dewan pl- actually play the bagpipes? So that was that, that was that was him playing. Oh wow, so. that's, that's even. No, that's what I'm asking. You oh, I, I don't know. I don't know if that was definitely him for sure or. Um, he wasn't yeah, Scottish. Was he? I thought he was uh, James James Dewan. Like not like. Like off the boat, Scottish. Like, is he? Was he an immigrant? Is he an immigrant? Was past uh, he, he? He he's he, uh, he was Canadian. He was, yeah. Got it. So, um, um, Doohan sounds Irish to me. Yeah. So I don't, and I don't know. I don't know if he was the one actually playing the bagpipes or not. But the bagpipes in that. I mean, I thought for. A military funeral memorial service. I thought that was uh, very apropos. Well, and it worked. Mm-hmm. So, the, so we're just saying a starship just happens to have a set of bagpipes on board. You replicate that stuff, man. <laughs> true, true. Um, fun fact: uh, on an episode of TJ Hooker with our friend, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name. A, a Leonard Nimoy was on there as on an episode called Vengeance is Mine, playing Lieutenant Paul McGuire. But I Vengeance is Mine is isn't that a line from from Star Trek? 
from from uh, Wrath of Khan. Doesn't Khan make a comment about that? I don't remember those ex- not not those exact words, but um... okay. I was I'm perusing through his IMDb and I saw that and it made me it made my heart flutter. That's so <laughs> fun. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm trying. They're saying James Dewan did not actually play the bagpipes in it. So, so I, I don't know who the. Thank goodness for the internet because we'd all be just making stuff yeah. up. Yeah, we we, we, we fact checked on the spot. Yeah, We're like oh yeah, hey, that's James Dewan. He actually played the bagpipes. No, I don't, and I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to find out the actor who did or the musician that did, and I'm I'm failing miserably. I'm sure it's a recording. It worked. It worked. We believed it. It was believable to me. And people say that his Scottish accent is actually pretty terrible. If you know Scottish accents, I am not a Scotsman. So, Having done some voiceover work where they made me really study and make sure that I was delivering stuff, one of my one of my dialect coaches made the comment, like, it's pretty much as bad as you're going to get. Oh. Kind of like Dick Van Dyke in, my, in um, Mary Poppins. To this day, it makes my it makes my friend David just cringe. He said, "There's no one in this entire island that speaks like this." Okay, sorry. <laughs> we still like him. Still like him in that movie. You know, even he. I think even Dick Van Dyke said that he was he was he thought there were other actors that could have played that character better than he did. But yeah, but he, he there's a, there's a charm about him. It just works. It just works. They actually said that they, uh, someone said, uh, I'm looking, still looking up the bagpipe thing. They actually said that they think a synthesizer actually did the bagpipes. Really? Yeah, that's what they, uh, they, there's some evidence and, um, it's kind of interesting. I don't know. We, we can probably fact check that and get back to you a little bit more, but I think that that's what it was suggested here. So if we really care that much, but, <laughs> but. I well, think we should if, just do an episode where we just make shit stuff up. <laughs> we, we should. We just like <laughs> facts according to the sci-fi diner. Create <laughs> <laughs> a whole potential <laughs> facts. <laughs> yes, we should like uh, do it like fact check the diner and just like make stuff up, but put some true things in and have a contest where if people get the most things that they write, you know, give them something or something. <laughs> no, everybody's too busy doing that with our current president. <laughs> well, all right. Whoa, hey, I got, I got a well, comment. Oh, I know. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna get hate mail about that. Um, so. Oh boy. But, <laughs> all right. Well, is there anything else we do need to talk about regarding the uh, Wrath of Khan? Because we're about out of time here. But anything else that we do need to talk about regarding it? Well, if anybody is in the Baltimore area, um, there's gonna be a special showing at the. Uh, the lyric and special guest will be William Shatner. Uh, this is um, never heard of him. Uh, not many people have, uh, but uh, Boston legal guy. I think it was TJ Hooker, Hooker that made him famous, but um, he's going to be at a uh, special showing of Wrath of Khan, May 16th. Um, I'm th- not sure what day of the week that is, but um, if I had some money to burn, I would probably do this, but um, I think it probably like a Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah, it's probably the middle of the week. And but if you're, that'd be that's, awesome that, to see it with him. That would be awesome to see it with him. I'm sure It'd be a, a fun Q and A afterwards and everything. Where, where is it? Um, it's in Baltimore. It's at the. At, it's playing at the Lyric, the Mo- Model Lyric. Oh, huh. 
So you, I guess we can look that up if you want to know exactly where it's at, right, Miles? I'll, I'll put a link in the uh, on our Facebook page. Oh, yeah, do that. Mm-hmm. Someone should go. Em, you should go. Take one for the team and go see it. In Baltimore? It's in the middle <laughs> think, of the week? Right, right. That's, that's hard. It's like a two-hour drive for you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. I would, I would absolutely love to. And every once in a while at Wolf Drop, they'll every, once, like two or three times in the season, in a summer season, They'll have a movie and they'll have the uh, the NSO, the um, National Symph- Symphonic Orchestra play the score of the sh- of the of the film. And they've done they did um, they've done some of the older Star Treks before. And that's if there's an opportunity, I'm I'm sure it happens in lots of other cities, too, where you can go see these old films. But with an act with a live symphony in front of you. It like the hair on your arms will stand on end for the whole time. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I can't imagine seeing the symphonic uh, when they ever, whenever they do that. It's just fascinating, and I think it's beautiful. They typically put the movie up behind you as they play, and I think we saw great. Lord of the Rings that way with the, with oh. the choir and the soloists, Ooh. and it, it was it was so beautiful. We all were in tears. It was epic. But the Star Trek ones, especially the new ones, because I'm just passionately in love with, uh, uh, oh, my God, Michael G. Uh, I just said it a minute ago. His scores are amazing. Oh, yeah. The, 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 the writer of the music. That's right. Yes. Yeah, I don't know his name. I'm no help. Miles, do you know his I know, name? No, it's just, it's almost bedtime for Bonzo. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> Joe, were you going to say, what was that? Are you guys going to go to shore leave? We are signed up to go. Absolutely. Will you be there? Yes. Yes. I don't miss it. All right. We will have to, we will have to hang out. We'll have to do like a catch up with Joe Colton. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so before we wrap up the show, uh, can you remind us, Joe, thank you. So first of all, thank you so much for coming on and sharing about, sharing about your cosplay and contributing to the wrath con as we kind of broke it down a little bit and just kind of reflected on the movie. We really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to do that. Thank you for having me. I, I enjoyed this. And M anyone, anytime you need a girl, I'm here. Yeah. All right. Done. <laughs> we'll right. Right. Next time. We could have the female perspective. Yeah. Right, there we go. There we go. Yeah. Well, so we'll have to, we'll have to talk. Maybe let's talk uh, off the show here. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. And uh, again, can you remind us again where people can find more out more about you and your cosplay? Um, on Facebook, it's Joe Colton Cosplay. On Instagram, it's Joe Colton Cosplay. And on Twitter, it's J Colton Cosplay. Awesome. And uh, pretty soon you'll have your own Twitch channel coming out. Yes. So and, uh, what's the name of that Twitch channel when it comes on again? It'll be Trek Girls Official or Trek Girls 2 Official. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. I believe that's about it. Are you guys are you guys ready to wrap up the show? I think so, yes. Yeah. Yes. So movie three, when we do the next Star Trek movie, Dayton Ward will be joining us. Ooh. So. Oh, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> love you, Dayton. I do love Dayton. He's lovely. Oh, yeah. So we'll be doing it sometime in May. We'll be doing the uh, third movie. So search for Spock. So, 
All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We're glad all of you tuned in tonight. And Miles, why don't you go ahead and take us out of the show here? All right. Till next time, good night and good luck. We'll see ya. Do your dailies. If you've enjoyed the conversation, the owners of this establishment would love to hear from you. Send your comments and feedback to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com or join our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sci-fi diner.